Now then, where shall we go? Oh, well, let's just get our breath back first before you start tearing off anyway. Anyway, as you know, the TARDIS has a mind of its own. You know you can't control it. Can't control it? No. We'll see about that. We'll see about that. Here we go again. I wonder where it'll be this time. Yes, I wonder. Live from the throat of Zoanin, this is Doctor Who Podshock. Outpost Gallifrey presents Doctor Who Podshock. This is episode 68 for the week of February 19th, 2007. My name is Ken Deep. Riding shotgun with me today, Mr. Louis Trapani. Hey. And missing in action is Mr. James Norton. Yeah. What happened with him? I don't know. I hope he's all right. Well, sure. I have to say he's on assignment. That's always what they say when the, one of the co-hosts is, is not around. He's on assignment. He's what does on, that mean? He's, he's being assigned. Yeah. So, um, how are you doing with this blistering cold weather? Yeah, we're having some terrible, terrible cold weather in the Northeast, and it's uh, it's pretty much kept me indoors like all weekend. And I did get a chance to I, I saw Empire Strikes Back three times on HBO over the weekend, so that, <laughs> I guess that was a positive. And I watched um, what Doctor Who did I watch? I watched a few Blake Seven episodes over the weekend. Um, uh, Which, uh, we still have to do our Blake 7 one-off. Oh, yeah, we blew that. <laughs> we still can do it. I could have done that today. Okay, well, let's do it. No, I It's like anything, any crazy ideas. Okay, let's jump into the Doctor Who newsroom. It's, a, it's actually a relatively light news week this week. So, Lewis, yeah. what's first up in the newsroom? Well, we're coming off the heels of uh, the Gallifrey, the big convention in uh, out in L.A. So um, next week's episode should be fun-filled, cram-packed, full of um, information coming from there. So, so what you're saying is this week's episode stinks? No, no, I'm just saying this is oh. sort of an appetizer, and <laughs> <laughs> the main course is it heading its way. But <laughs> that racket you're hearing in the background is Fuzzy the cat, <laughs> as opposed to Fuzzy the bear, just tearing the joint up. <laughs> hey, it looks like that guy is recording. <laughs> Let me go make a lot of noise. Well, oh. guest hosting with us is Fuzzy. Hey. Yeah. Being that James couldn't be here, but he doesn't really have much to say because he just got fixed this weekend. <laughs> James did? <laughs> no, Fuzzy did. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Fuzzy has no comment. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty much he's pretty much got nothing to say. <laughs> I'm Let sorry. the ladies know that he's not available for a little while, okay? <laughs> yeah, a little while. A long while. <laughs> okay. So, so um, speak, in, yeah, in the yeah, newsroom, speaking please. of no comment, this goes back to our – we've been covering this for the last two episodes. The rumor about John Sim playing a particular character in Doctor Who. Now, let me give you a spoiler alert here. So um, if you want to skip ahead – he appeared on the program BBC Six Music, where a listener had emailed him and asked him about this rumor about him being in Series 3, playing okay. the Doctor's old Time Lord Nemesis. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, the Master. So 
he responds by saying it's all speculation and rumor at this point. I think it's just the I think it's just journalists getting a little bit overexcited. Uh, and he goes on to saying that um, you know when he was asked whether or not the role was being offered to him, he says I don't know, basically saying no comment. So that means yes. <laughs> We've learned that in the past. That means yes. Usually actors, if it's just a rumor, are glad to feed into it a little and be like, "Oh well, yeah, that would be nice." But when they when they're like when they adamantly deny things, that usually means it's true. Yeah, you gotta yeah. remember, actors are all about like themselves and stuff. It's all about you know how they're gonna appear and all that. There's a certain type of personality, and so I think. If it wasn't true, they would want you to think it's true. But when it is true, they want you to think it's not true. So that's, yeah, I, I should just that's clarify the crazy that. actor logic. Uh, that, it's that, right up there with musician logic. Just so. <laughs> I didn't know there was such a thing. It's like an oxymoron. Yeah, <laughs> he's in a pod sometimes. Uh, it, it, he said, um, "I don't know when he was asked if he would consider the role if it was being or- if it was offered to him." So, but um, I'm sure um, with, I, like mm-hmm. with everything, play, play the master on one of the most. Famous shows in television history, or do something else. That's a tough call. <laughs> well, he's not going to be in the spinoff of Life on Mars, so he'll have some time on his hands. So why not? And that would be Ashes to Ashes. The, the spinoff, yes. So, uh, or is it Jump? Jump? They say. No, that's coming. That that will be the okay. show that based <laughs> in the nineties. <90s. laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for China Girl to come out, and then I'll watch the show. <laughs> <laughs> you should watch it. It's a good show. I, I actually I, I plan on it. Okay, so that was the that was that story. What else do we have on? Well, a big disappointment for the uh, for fans and listeners down under is that um, despite earlier reports to the contrary, um, all Australian broadcasting mediums have passed on Torchwood. So that's the ABC, um, the Australian Broadcasting Company, and um, CB. Um, SBS, the Special Broadcasting Service, have uh, both passed on uh, Torchwood, and there's no indication of any Australian commercial broadcasters that will pick up the show either. So it seems, um, I guess, uh, well, it, uh, we should also make a note that the same thing goes with the U.S. There's been, so far has been no confirmation of any U.S. broadcaster. Um, and the U.S. seems to get a little bit complex when it comes to American television rights for some reason. Yeah, yeah, you remember um, how long it took just to for get Doctor, Doctor Who? Who. Yes. Yeah. So, and now it's I, all over the place. It's on BBC America oh, yeah. having a field day. But in fact, as we're recording this today, BBC America is doing another little mini marathon by doing a um, back-to-back showing at 7 p.m. tonight of The um, the Empty Child and Doctor Dances. Ah, two favorites. Yeah. So, yeah, well, we know for sure that it's going to eventually hit North America as far as Canada goes because Canada is underwriting the series, you know, along with BBC. So... We don't know exactly when, but we know at one point Torchwood will be broadcast in Canada. And as far as other places, um, I think we've confirmed that it's going to New Zealand. But it's strange that, um, you know, it's going there, but not Australia. Yeah. Uh, you know, it still may pop up, but I'm, I'm just um, I'm wondering what some of the reasons that the Australian networks passed on it. You know, that it mm. concerns me because I know I've been very critical of the show and I'm curious to see if they're equally as critical that i mean not that it's a bad show that's that's really not i've ever you know I've ne- you've never heard me say that it's a bad show um i just think that we're in danger of having 
um, Overkill. You know, Doctor Who and spin-off Overkill. Yeah. And yeah, we've we, seen we, this happen with Star Trek and Stargate, and it starts to get things start getting watered down. Yeah, I know we discussed this a few times in the past about that, so it's always been a concern. And some of our our listeners have mentioned that also on our website, especially one word got out that there was going to be an animated Doctor Who series, but it, that it again, really a series, yeah, yeah, that was just a small little series that's part of another series, so it's not really a spin-off. Here in the states, the History Channel is doing this. We're recording this over President's Day weekend. We're doing a Star Trek special. I know Lewis is probably well aware of it. Both Lewis and I are Star Trek fans. But it was a little weird in their promos that they said, you know, no other show has lasted 40 years. And I'm like, hold on a second. <laughs> Time out. <laughs> well, it's just like the Guinness Book of World Records, you know, made that omission as well. And they had to be set straight, too. Didn't happen in America. It didn't happen at all, apparently, right? Well, that's unfortunately... Um... <laughs> all happens all too often. What else is in the news, Dr. Lou? Well, The Sun is claiming that Tom Ellis has been cast in the new series. Tom Ellis is, um, I... The I, Sun I, newspaper, not the fiery yes. ball in the sky. Okay. As, yeah, you're correct. So Sometimes that big fiery <laughs> ball in the sky does send messages to me, but this was not one of those times. <laughs> so, uh... According to the Sun, he's playing a character called Tom Milligan, and um, he has appeared in East Enders as Doctor Oliver Cousins. So, uh, unfortunately, James isn't here. Usually, James can fill us in on some of the uh, British actors that um, us Yanks are not familiar with. And um... <laughs> yeah, That's and okay. his his uh, expertise comes in handy. Exactly. They, the Sun, in a different article, is also reporting that Elise Dutoyet, and forgive me if I'm pronouncing her name wrong, um, has also been cast, and she's a uh, Holly Oaks actress, and she's going to be playing a character, Miss Dexter. Well, this is a bit of a spoiler, a mild spoiler here. It's reported saying that an insider says she's an extremely sinister character who clashes with the Doctor after setting a trap for him ooh, she's a soap opera star according to this she's a 25 year old who was a sex bomb izzy in the channel 4 soap <laughs> ah my favorite type sex bombs yes <laughs> yeah. the so, world would be a lot more peaceful place if all we used was sex bombs <laughs> it all depends if they have long fuses or short fuses <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's the what's what else is in the well, news? Well, rounding out the news, we have another casting update, and this is um what this one comes in the form of Christopher Eccleston. The Sci-Fi Wire reports that he will be joining the cast of the movie The Dark Is Rising. It's a 20th Century Fox um, movie, and it's an adaptation of the books of of the book by the same name by Susan Cooper, and Eccleston will play a villain called the Rider. And He's all over the place lately. Between yeah. heroes and this, and you know, it's been rumored to be in the in the prisoner remake, one mm -hmm. of two. We're so, still waiting for like some sort of concrete, you know, confirmation on that. It'd be interesting to yeah. see. So, um, filming's beginning on uh, later this month, the twenty sixth of February, in Romania. And I got to tell you, uh, for the prisoner, the only thing that uh, you know, to me, the prisoner should just be left alone, as many things should be left alone that are just you know, good pieces of art that stand yeah. on their own that don't need to be remade. But the only thing that gives me any hope is the, the curiosity of seeing Eccleston in the role. 
of it, number six. Yeah, if he is crack cast, it's brilliant casting, you know. Um, but I agree. I mean, there's way too many remakes and too many rehashes of, of everything. Because the the danger is that we get Nicolas Cage in the remake, <laughs> and then we're really stuck. Yeah, yeah. No, I think Christopher Eccleston can really pull off that whole anger and mm-hmm. you know dark, you know, troubled soul kind of yeah. you know um, situation. So that rounds up the news there. I just uh, want to remind everyone that all the Doctor Who news that reported can be found on Outpost Gallifrey. You can find that at gallifrey1.com slash news.php or just go to Outpost Gallifrey News and click on the news section and you'll find these news stories plus many more. There's a great interview with Peter Davison posted as well. Uh, on. Oh, on yeah, this, they're reporting a... Oh, um, interview with a press association um, headlined, If I Ruled the World. Mm-hmm. Where he... Uh, well, I assumed he already did. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. speaking of Peter Davison, I just saw um, an episode of, which I've never seen before, but it's some sort of British sitcom called Hardware, and he's, uh, he, he's a guest in there where he plays himself, and there's some Doctor Who references in there because he's playing the actor, Peter <laughs> Davison. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. I'd like to see that. Uh, I know he, he, when they did the uh, Doctor Who marathon a few years back, he has probably the funniest of the three skits that they do yes. with the <laughs> with the fans. And, you know, do you want to kiss Peter Davison? I mean, the fact that he just, he's this brilliant Peter Davison while <laughs> he's got his mouth duct taped, never says a word, and it's all in the face. But uh, great stuff. Love well, Peter Davis. In this um, interview, he's asked, uh, "Who would you, if he was the ruler of the world, uh, who would you send to the tower and put into the socks?" And he goes on to say, uh, "That would be our present prime minister." <laughs> <laughs> I think in order to prevent disaster ever happening again, uh, you have to pursue relentlessly the people who are responsible for it. You cannot start from the position that we all to that that we too often say, "Well, this." this is where we are now and this is where we have to sort it out. So, okay. <laughs> the outspoken Peter Davis. Yes. All right. Well, that so, just about does it for the news. Uh, we have some features coming up and then your feedback right here on Dr. Who Podshock. We'll be right back. You're listening to Dr. Who Podshock. This is Colin Baker. This is all very nice, but I have no idea who you are. Never mind. I'm a lady. I'm a goddamn major. Major Alice Hunterford, and you'll respect the rank. Doctor, I'm on a hill called Elliot's Salient. I still can't hate you, Doctor. That's no darling. Hey, quit that, Buster. Oh, gross. They got what what they deserve. Damn Yankee trainers. This is General Tillington, Chief of Staff, Global Warning. I've seen scurrying things, like big steel rats, shiny in the darkness. We 
don't understand what's going on, but it is clear that there is trouble coming. What kind of trouble? A Dalek invasion, Doctor. The Divers of London! The Daleks are the masters of Earth! Doctor Who, Renaissance of the Daleks, with Peter Davison and Sarah Sutton, now available from Big Finish. And we're back with Doctor Who Pachak. And we I just are. Yes. <laughs> Before we uh, head over to the, the main feature segment, I just do want to remind people that um, <laughs> that our good friends Tony and Kieran from the Starship Sofa podcast are covering Red Dwarf in their um, in their current episode. And by the time you get this, part two will be out as well in the, in the following episode. So you want to check it out, starshipsofa.com. Check out their podcast. I like that... Um... You said we're going to head over to the feature section. I picture like those old 70s TV shows where the entire like platform yes. moves. Yes, you know, that's our like, stage. That's our setup. Here. Yeah, and it moves over <laughs> and the, the music starts coming up and we, you know, we step over. Or um, Jules Holland, you know, how his mm-hmm. on his music show, he goes from one side to the other side. That's what we're going to do. We're going to step over. Ladies and gentlemen, Dave Gilmore, you know. Right, that, that kind of thing. <laughs> Cool. Now that we've walked over to the Jules Holland, <laughs> well, standing <laughs> no, in for no. Jules Holland is Darth Skeptical, and with the Darth Skeptical Chronicles, this time he takes a stab at re- um, once again continuing his reviews of BBC Seven Doctor Who series. He's reviewing Human Resources Part One, so sit back and um, grab a snack and listen on. Hello, I'm looking from Ms. Lucy Miller. I believe she's been here. Who are you? I'm afraid I'm not at liberty to say. For weeks, the mystery has been building. An apparently ordinary human. Something with two arms, two legs, body heat, a heartbeat, an intruder. You. Has breached the TARDIS. Something, some power, tore open a rift about 2.4 meters from where I'm standing. It's supposed to be my first day at work, and now look! She's being pursued by a relentless mercenary. And I promise you, there's nowhere in space or time this Lucy Miller can hide from me. And watched by the most evil beings in the galaxy. I've been sent by the High Council. Let's see some identification. Come on, Doctor. Surely you can recognize me as a Time Lord. Now, only one man can save her. You tried to leave? Repeatedly, and each time the TARDIS brought me straight back here. Well, I like that. First chance you get and you bail out on me. You're supposed to be protecting me in case you forgot. It seems I have no choice. You think I like this any more than you do? Join us now as the mystery of Lucy Miller hits the home stretch. Human Resources, Part 1, this week on The Skeptical Diaries. This is London.
Midnight, Greenwich Mean Time. Howdy kids, my name's Darth Skeptical, and we're back again to talk about the only form of Doctor Who the whole world can share. Yep, that's right, the current season on Radio 7. We're up to part one of the season finale, Human Resources. It's a bit of office space this time around, as Lucy finally makes it to the job she was going for back in part one of Blood of the Daleks. And I should say right up front two things. One, this is being recorded in the week between the initial broadcasts of part one and two of this story, so I have absolutely no idea how it ends. Second, there will, of course, be massive spoilers. In fact, let's get started on the spoiling right away with a brief overview of the whole shebang. Attention, Attention all, personnel. all personnel, the deal, the deal has, has gone, gone through. through. Good work, Good everybody. everybody. The story opens with Lucy being dropped off at Holbert Logistics by the headhunter who's been pursuing her all season long. And at first it seems all very normal, complete with that awkward forced humor that abounds on the first day at a new job. Can you show Lucy the ropes? Sure. The ropes are important. We use them to escape out the window when it all gets too hectic. <laughs> <laughs> or if you're just feeling a bit ropey. <laughs> I bet they also come in useful for roping people into things they don't want to do. <laughs> Careful, or I'll give you enough rope to hang yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Any more rope gags? Back in the TARDIS, the doctor's visited by a Time Lord who makes it clear they need Lucy safe. Since the home planets rigged the TARDIS to fail without Lucy inside, this Time Lord hands the Doctor a newly updated time ring and tells him to go fetch his charge. Arriving at Holbert, the Doctor is given a senior management job. This allows him to both see the things that aren't quite right in this office and to pull Lucy as his personal assistant. He wakes Lucy up from the mind conditioning that's been fogging her over, and the now old team is back on the case. A rather smug Time Lord popped up and gave me a time ring to get here, and he said to come straight back. But you didn't. No. Something's not right here. Lots of things aren't right here. Are the others brainwashed? Or conspiring against you specifically? Why are we locked in? Why did the Time Lords tell me that this was a temporal black spot, when as far as I can see it's nothing of the sort? I feel like you're gonna say, tune in next week to find out. Stuff that. Let's find out now. What do you say? Yeah, go on. I've not got much on. That's to tell me I should be in my meeting already. Oh, can I come? No, no, we'll learn more if we split up. And as typically happens when a companion and her doctor split up, the companion gets in trouble and the doctor gets to visit the main villain. In this case, the personal mystery surrounding Lucy gets ramped up one more time. Well, wipe them off. What? Why? We've got new data coming through. How do I wipe the old data off? Click edit and choose clear all. Says it's protected. IT should have given you permission. Use my password to override it. What's your password? Petit Poir 82. Is it working now? Is it working now? Lucy, Lucy. Lucy? What was that? What was what? Oh, nothing. I think I'm getting a migraine. Then she promptly gets fired the penalty for which is forcible ejection from the office. On the outside, she sees what Holbert Logistics is really all about. I saw the office from the outside and, well, it's not an office. Oh, what is it? A sort of great big robot with weapons coming off it. A great big robot? Yep. Are you sure about this? I'll take a picture with my phone before it gets too far away. Call me back when you get it. 
great big robot with weapons coming off it is a fair and accurate description. The doctor, meanwhile, stumbles across a dimensional portal down at the titular human resources. It leads him to the glorious Roy Marsden, who's putting the Holbert in Holbert Logistics this week. Pretending to be a client looking for Holbert services in overthrowing the administration on Gallifrey, the doctor discovers some trade secrets. What I do is to bring in people from non-military backgrounds and translate the work of operating a heavy-duty combat machine into something they're used to doing. Working in an office like this? Yeah, yeah. The inside of each machine looks like a regular office and all the computer terminals are linked up to the machine's systems. Right. I noticed some uh, mental processing equipment over there, so I presume you process them not to notice the unusual aspects of what they're doing. So when they think they're attending a strategy meeting, they're actually attending, well, a different sort of strategy meeting. You're catching on. While Lucy is left with a small cadre of other dismissed employees on the planet's surface, the Doctor and Holbert view the war from the supposed safety of an impregnable audience box. But by now, the gloves have come off for our gentlemen of time. I lowered your defenses. Seemed a bit unfair on the other lot, really. Thought I'd give them a sporting chance. What the hell did you do that for? Because I've decided that I've seen enough of your operation. Enough to decide I don't like it. Not even a little bit. And I thought I'd turn the tables. Which would be all well and good if the doctor hadn't just given his sporting chance to the Cybermen. So how good is this story? This good. Since Doctor Who returned to TV in 2005, we've had three two-part season finales. This part one is better than either of the two televised first parts. Granted, it's not much better, but it wins on aggregate. What's interesting here, and indeed about the whole McGann season, is the degree to which it's obviously taken a page from Russell's Doctor Who, put it up to a mirror, and come up with something that is a slightly superior reflection of what's happened before. It's very much a fan's reworking of all the elements that succeeded on TV, with changes to those things that didn't. For instance, like the other two season finales, this one is ostensibly about a threat to Earth. But it's not really Earth at all. You only think that you're on Earth until the big and satisfying reveal comes. So you get all the dramatic benefit of a familiar environment. Indeed, Doctor Who has rarely been so banal. But you get all the glory of an alien world. Like Bad Wolf, Resources is also about a secret that's been hounding a companion throughout the season. But instead of being, to one degree or another, a plot contrivance that comes to save the Doctor in the end, this secret has actually been putting him in jeopardy. Here, the danger of traveling with Lucy, without understanding her secret, is at its most acute. I think Resources is also about the right way to reveal a classic monster. Here we see Nicholas Briggs and company taking something that worked from television, the introduction of the Daleks at the end of Army of Ghosts, but applying it to the Cybermen, whose reveal was handled extremely poorly in Rise of the Cybermen. Now, if you've read my post on the forum, you know that I'm pretty consistent in my disdain for the Cybermen. Rubbish enemy. They've never been properly defined as a species, and generally they're used as mere robots, etc., etc., yada, 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 ad infinitum. 
But here, I have to tell you, I had missed the press on the story, and so I wasn't really expecting them. When they showed up as a consequence of the doctor's little plan to handle Holbert, my mouth dropped open. And then I began to cackle with joyous laughter. They might well be mishandled in part two. There's only so much you can do with them, but that was good stuff. It's sad to say, but one line of dialogue on the radio was way better than the majority of their use in four episodes on TV. Likewise, the sparing use of the Time Lords gives us an interesting view of how it might not have been dramatically necessary for the Time War to have occurred at all. I'm not complaining, mind you, and for the category use of Gallifrey, we'll say that Briggs and Davies are so far tied on their varying approaches. But the reminder of Gallifrey throughout this radio season has been engaging for both its presence and its economy. It's interesting to note that the Time Lords have kind of been there in exactly the same subtle way that their extinction was during the Ninth Doctor season. So I think there's a good deal of structural similarity between the opening of this season finale with its sisters on TV. But Human Resources is gifted by a lot more than that. Nick Briggs has gotten some wonderful performances here. Now, I have to be honest with you. There are few audio productions where I've really been disappointed by the voice work. After all, there are any number of ways that a radio performance can be massaged to an acceptable level. But one of my pet peeves with Big Finish's regular releases is the occasional flatness of Paul McGann. Having been reinvigorated by Sheridan Smith, and let's be fair, shorter, more comprehensible scripts, that's happily not been true of him this whole season. Nowhere, though, has he put in a better performance than right here. In the same way that an unearthly child, the Highlanders, the Mind of Evil, the Sunmakers, and the Caves of Androzani were all stories that were sort of custom-made for their doctors' respective strengths, so too is Human Resources a Paul McGann tour de force. You absolutely recognize this as the guy from the telemovie. And the woman who took me away from the Zimmerman's house... What woman? Glammed up woman in a business suit, posh voice. Well, she showed me to my desk and I just started working. And the more I thought about you and the TARDIS, the more I thought I'd had a Wizard of Oz moment and dreamt it all. Inglorious Technicolor. Which one was I? The, the, the Scarecrow? No, the dog! No, I'm not one of those evil flying monkeys. Shut up, I'm serious. Whenever something here didn't make sense, somebody explained and I just accepted it. Like, the whole point of going for this job was that it was in London. See, I was going to move down and live with my friend Amanda from school, but apparently we're in Telford. Oh, well, I know Telford isn't the most desirable place to work, but it seems a little extreme to brainwash your staff into accepting it. But you also see in him a new characteristic. The patience that comes with being a chameleon. He quickly adjusts his cover in various situations here, perhaps most notably when he attends his first business meeting. Tell me what you've got in mind and I'll tell you if it's feasible. If you want a clean strike, I'd suggest a focused sonic wave. Have you, um, got anything like that? Yeah, I see where your head's at. I mean, we've worked with those sorts of tools before, but they are a bit crazy, not very precise. I'm not sure how we'd apply it at the kind of depth we're talking about. Is the site defended? Not from the outside. They're trying not to draw attention to it. That's why we need to press home the advantage. Or could you cut a narrow tunnel with a laser? Probably. You could focus a wave through that and disable them. Then you could win the battle without actually killing anyone. Ah, yeah. We could even get manufacturing to knock us up a soundproof tube, slide it in, minimise local damage so their clients will like that. Slick thinking. Just doing my job. 
Now, this isn't the psychic paper-enabled self-righteous infiltration into events like the most recent televised doctors, but much more an eerie blend of Pat Troughton and Roger Delgado. It's a deliciously long wait until the doctor's true colors emerge, and when he does make his move, it's totally the wrong one. Meanwhile, Sheridan Smith just keeps cementing her earlier good work. What's really interesting to me in this episode is that her utility to the doctor is so extreme here that she gets thrown out onto a battlefield and refuses the doctor's help. She recognizes he needs to be where he is and is seemingly unafraid of the danger posed to herself. More amazingly, she effectively takes her own companion, putting the also-fired Karen under her wing as bombs explode around them. As for the script itself, well, it's just damn good all around. In terms of tone, it's kind of RTD meets Graham Williams, or Hitchhiker's Guide meets The Office, as written by the Epstein brothers. Take your pick. This is high-concept science fiction that's firmly grounded in the real world, sweetened by snappy banter. Remember how I said last week that I didn't really need to re-listen to No More Lies because there weren't that many standout scenes? That's not the case here. This is one where even the supporting characters have lines worth a re-listen. The core concept is potentially the story's greatest strength. Again, it owes something to current televised Doctor Who in that it's Cybus Industries writ large. Holbert's business plan produces something very like the season two Cybermen. Human beings have had some of their humanity stripped from them as a part of being turned into warriors by a corporation. But there are a few twists thrown in for good measure. One is that the unaware humans haven't been physically changed in any permanent way. But the more thematic difference is that we get social commentary on a different level. Where Russell Cybus Industries was a cautionary symbol about the dangers of technological consumerism, Nick's Holbert Logistics is more interestingly about the military-industrial complex. Now that the stage is set for the Cybermen to do battle with Holbert, we might be in store for some even more interesting thematic conclusions in part two. Now, I guess I should find some kind of fault with this thing, but other than the fact that I've got to wait a week for the conclusion, I'm not sure I can. This thing is really that good. But if I had to say something without having heard part two, it'd be to wonder nervously if they've left too many questions unanswered for satisfying resolution in part two. Still, on the strength of both this episode and the season so far, I find myself curiously needing to say something to Russell T. Davies. Come on, good sir. Give us one flashback episode starring Sheridan Smith and Paul McGann. It's not really asking that much. Not like a multi-doctor story or anything. Just one flashback episode. And until I get my way on that one, boys, I guess I'm just going to have to give this episode an unabashed 5 out of 5. Until next time, I'm Darth Skeptical, closing up the diaries for this podcast. Thank you once again, Darth, an entertaining and, as always, an informative review. And we look forward to your next part, your next um, episode of Darth Skeptical Chronicles, where uh, you wrap up the whole series with Human Resources Part 2. Let's see how it all concludes. Very cool. All right, we'll be right back with more Doctor Who Podshock feedbacks up next.
do not move. We will be right back. Are you looking for a podcast that has a bit of everything? Reviews, opinions, interviews, and wide-ranging topics? Well, I have the podcast for you. Come in and listen to Ramble with Russell at ramblingrus.libsyn.com. I have a wide range of topics and a wide range of guests. If you're looking for a little bit something different and variety and a lot of fun, please come listen to my podcast. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Hooverse, written by David Agnew and produced by Esco. You can figure that one out. Entry number 082006.04. Subject, the Mona Lisa. It is an important and popular fact that things are not always as they seem. For instance, take the Mona Lisa hanging in the Louvre. In current times, it has found itself in the middle of pop culture due to some preposterous code, but what many fail to know is that the painting is in fact a fake. However, having said that, it was indeed a fake painted by Leonardo da Vinci himself, and is in fact part of a much larger code. The code to unlocking the secrets of life, the universe, and everything. Now what on earth could it have to do with all that? Well on earth, it has everything to do with it. The Mona Lisa hanging in Paris today is actually the only remaining part of a seven-piece set. The six copies based on the original were commissioned by Captain Tancredi in 1505 and were part of an elaborate plan by the alternate form of the captain, Count Scarleone, in Paris circa 1979. The copies were to be used as part of an elaborate black market scam to raise funds for the Count's time experiments. The Count needed to return 400 million years into Earth's past in order to prevent the ship containing the last of his species from exploding. The explosion had caused the Count, in his original form as Scaroth, to be splintered into 12 identical selves spread throughout the different eras of human history. Not only did Scarroth influence the production of the Mona Lisa, but also the progress of the ancient pyramids, the wheel, fire, and Galilean astronomy. But Scarroth's greatest contribution by far was also his biggest blunder. By unintentionally blowing up his ship in the first place, he unintentionally set off a chain reaction that was responsible for the birth of life on primordial Earth. Oh, but you don't care about that, do you? You're just wondering how we know the painting hanging in the Louvre is a fake. Well, if you were to take an x-ray of the painting, you would discover below Leonardo's original oils lies the doctor's distinct handwriting in black felt-tip marker, simply stating, this is a fake. But this entry is not. This has been the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Hooverse. Please leave your rants and comments at myspace.com stroke guide to the Hooverse or send them to us at guide to the Hooverse at gmail.com. And until next time. Bye bye, Jacket! Stay where you are. Hi, Ken Lewis and James. Russell, your other Canadian correspondent here at the BWIN Hoobash. Uh, what am I saying? Here in Toronto. I thought I would come down here to a segment for my show, but also give you guys a little insight on this unboxing gathering. So, uh, what I'm going to do is give you uh, a couple of clips you can play and get an opinion of um, Doctor Who of a uh, more Canadian plant on today's show. So hope you enjoy that and I'll hopefully talk to you very soon. 
Okay, I'm out here at the DWIN Poobash, uh, and with me is Rob Mamet, who is uh, a Doctor Who fan, as, as many people are here at this event. This is the first Doctor Who gathering I've been in ages. Now, he's interesting enough with Rod, he actually has uh, is in the uh, recording industry. So, welcome to the show, Rod. Hey, how you doing? Now, you're telling me that, that you uh, actually have uh, been involved with quite a few film productions for the past 10 years. Yes, uh, coming out of Queen's University, I went into the film industry. I have a degree in film, and luckily I'm one of the few that actually gets paid for what I wanted to do. Now, we're here at the Who Bash. What, make, what makes you a Doctor Who fan? How long have you been following the good Doctor for? Uh, I've been a Doctor Who fan since, uh, I don't know, since I was uh, 10 years old or something like that. And I think it's probably actually between Star Wars and Doctor Who, that's why I'm in the film industry, because I love those two shows, the movies. That's why I wanted to start making TV, start making movies. And I've been doing Doctor Who fan stuff since, you know, since I was 10, 11, whatever. I started a Doctor Who fan club in Montreal, and that ran for years. I moved to Toronto, so doing it here, you know, helping the kids. What do you think of the new series and the new take in it? We're, we're gearing up, hopefully, for Runaway Bride in December, less than a month. What do you think of the new series and what they've done with it? It's, uh, it's great. You know, it's, you know, being uh, a film person in, in the industry, I wanted to make remake Doctor Who. Like, you know, actually, when the TV movie was being done in Vancouver, I almost flew out there to, to try and get a job. Although I knew it was impossible, like I knew it, was, it would never happen. But if if I was to remake Doctor Who, this is how I do it. You know, I just gotta go for the kids, but also keep it adult enough and well written, good acting, good production value. If you did it any other way, it would completely fail. Like they, I think Russell D Davies has done a great job. Have you, who do you prefer, Eccleston or Tennant? I'm more leaning towards Tennant myself. I'm a big Tennant fan. Uh, Ecky was good, but uh, he, I, I had a feeling he was only going to stay for the one year, and I just like the body of work that uh, Tennant has done. I think he's a really good actor, and he's more Doctor-ish. Like, if you think about Doctor Who, yeah, I think Tom Baker, he's got quirky, and uh, all the character traits are more seen in Tennant than what was done with Eccleston. Although Eccleston, I think he did what he needed to do to just bring it back with such strength. Now, do you have high hopes for the new uh, companion coming up, Freeha uh, Angman? Uh, you know what? The, the Doctor Who has always been about the Doctor. So I think there was too much emphasis on Rose. So I'm glad to see her, uh, spoiler, go. <laughs> um, so yeah, the new companion, great. If she's no good, kill her off. Or get another one in there. Get two more. Get a. Another rubber dog, whatever. Okay. Yeah, I think we're all we're all hoping for it. it's not going to be another love interest. It'll just be an old school companion, maybe some affection for him, granted, but not falling for him like a hard stone. I, I've actually totally stayed away from reading anything about the new stuff. I only like to watch the new show when it comes on. I don't want to read spoilers. I don't read uh, what people are thinking or what's going to happen. So, it, in my opinion, if they go with more of a there's an antagonism between the Doctor. There's more. There's actually a little uh, friction between the two. It's probably a better way to go than having another lovey lovey, you know, just a rose part too. Like, you don't want that. Yeah, I think we also don't want another extended family. It's fine to feature them, but not so heavy-handed like the first, like the first and second. Yeah, and it's actually one of the spoilers I do know is that there's uh, not much alien world stuff. But really, I want. Come on, get off Earth. Let's go see something different. Have a spaceship, like the old dog dude, you know, find a quarry somewhere and call it Planet Kragnon, whatever. Just, 
I don't care if there's humans there, but you're on another planet, whole different set of rules, there's nothing expected of it. You can surprise the audience, which is why I loved about Doctor Who. Yeah, that's the biggest beef, I think, with us, all the fans of the new series. Not enough off-planet, but then it's the old budget reason, ground-to-earth thing. I mean, uh, viewers of the CBC looking coming up, if you haven't seen it, The Impossible Planet are, and Satan Pit are two good episodes to look forward to, although because of CBC's lovely scheduling, there will be a huge gap between Impossible Planet and Satan Pit. But it'll be well worth the wait. And, but let's not, uh, there's a lot of slack for CBC for doing the break between Impossible Planet and uh, Satan Pit, but you know what, it's... Uh, all, all TV series do that. Babylon 5 does, does that. Uh, Battlestar Galactica does that. They do a break in the middle, wait a month. It's nothing new for television standards. It's just kind of annoying because now we're not going to get the, the Christmas Invasion at the right time or the new Christmas special. That they made. So yeah, it's, it's a little annoying, but not overly surprising. Thank you, Ron, for uh, taking time out of this Who Bash to talk to me today. I know I came a little late to this, but traveling... I'll mention that later on the show. How <laughs> much fun that was. So thanks a lot. Well, thanks a lot. And uh, anyone who wants to come up to another event, uh, just go to www.win.org. It's win.org, uh, the Doctor Who Information Network. And we do these things uh, whenever we feel like it. I don't know. It just happens to be the, the 43rd anniversary of Doctor Who this week. So, hey, why not? There you go. All right. Right back after this show. forces are to intercept podshock transmissions. The data can be used to seek and locate the doctor. Okay, well, with me right now is um, Sean Huckster, who is uh, a friend of Doctor Who Podshock. He's been a longtime listener, and we've had him on way, 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 way back one. I guess um, I'm not even sure if we were in single digits or double digit num- episodes at that time. I th- well, I think it was, well, at least 23, I think, and it might have been okay. a little earlier than that, too. It, it feels like it's, you know, ages ago, but um, it's all relative to Time Lords, I would say. So, but joining Bruce and, and myself, I mean, <laughs> I just gave it away. <laughs> <laughs> joining Sean and myself is none other than the traveling Bruce from, um, he's, I, I believe he's the mascot from uh, Cool Shite on the Tube, isn't that right? That's right. It's Bruce. He's the Tasmanian devil. <laughs> he's a, a he, I, he's a cute little thing, as as a Tasmanian devil goes. And uh, actually, you can see him by going to huckster.org/brucetor, one word. And uh, there are these great pictures that Sean has um, put together uh, while he has Bruce in his possession. We should sort of kind of explain how how traveling bruce works sure sure well i'm an avid listener or i had been an avid listener to cool shite on the tube and uh they announced that they were going to have uh, bruce take a world tour now bruce is about oh about a six to eight inch long uh tasmanian devil he's a stuffed little guy he's not the warner brothers tasmanian devil he's the real deal mm-hmm. uh um, so I've signed up to, to uh, host Bruce, and uh, he arrived on the 9th of January, which was just a couple of days ago. And uh, I've taken him on tour of my office, which is Turbine Entertainment, where we're writing a couple of really cool games right now. And I took him to Boston yesterday, on Saturday. 
and he's touring the world to uh, get some publicity to the plight of the Tasmanian devil, which is actually having some trouble with a particular disease called, uh, what is it called, the Tasmanian devil facial tumor disease, which is a strange thing, but it, it, it's endangering the animal. Oh, really? It's, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a disease they're catching. I don't think they know much about it, but uh, these massive facial tumors are growing on them, and it's causing them to basically starve to death because they can't eat. Oh, so they're having some trouble with that. It, yeah. It's really cutting into the numbers. Wow. And this is an animal that was, um, well, it's, it lives in Tasmania, the, which is a province of, uh, or um, a, ter a province, I guess, of Australia, which mm -hmm. uh, they died out in Australia 400 years before settlement, I believe. So uh, Tasmania is the last remaining uh, home for these little animals. And here they are having trouble. So he's on a tour to promote... Uh, to promote the awareness of the Tasmanian Devil, and he wants to get as much publicity as possible. So, thanks to you guys, you're you're giving him a little airtime on Podshock. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> actually, I'm I'm kind of envious over the little guy because he seems to be having more fun <laughs> than I'm having. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he he he's having fun. He's been he's been uh, all over Australia. I think he's been in New Zealand. He's been in Tasmania, of course, where he came from. He's been in Japan. Yeah, I yeah, think he had a stop in Canada, and now he's here in the U.S. So we should sort of explain. Listeners submit to get into a onto a list, I suppose, and then one listener will then have him for X amount of time, and then he'll be then. Um, off to an, another listener in another part of the world, right? Well, I signed up quite some time ago, so I don't know if the list is closed, but it's certainly worth checking it out on their uh, on their website. That's uh, www.coolshite.net. That's S-H-I-T-E.net. I think that's some kind of flower. I'm not sure. But anyway, so, so they may have open uh, registrations. I'm not entirely sure. I know he's with me now, and then I have to send him on when I'm done. He gets to stay with, him. He gets to stay with me for about a week, and he's been here almost that now. So he, he gets shipped out again early this coming week. Well, from the pictures, he looks no worse, you know, for wear. Do you know hey, where? Get, get. He, he, he's licking the microphone. Hang on. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. He's fine now. So, do you know where Bruce came from as far as his stop before he found himself in your possession? I believe Philadelphia. I'm not absolutely sure, although I thought the postmark came from New Hampshire. I'm not sure. It, it might have been New Hampshire. Uh, the address on the package actually says... Ah, it was definitely Concord, New Hampshire. Hmm. Okay. He's just been, he was in Philadelphia before that. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a web gallery at the Cool Shite page which tells where he's oh, been, but I guess okay. it hasn't been updated for a while. The last stop there, I think, is Philadelphia, but he came from Concord, New Hampshire, which is just a little bit north of here. So you can kind of mark the progress of where Bruce has been. That's right. That's very cool. And there's a journal. He keeps a journal with him. Every uh, every every page is filled out with all of his activities. He's filled out several on. Uh, on my uh, on his journal here while he's been in my uh, care, and his hand his paw writing keeps changing, but I think that might be the jet lag. <laughs> now I see Bruce has had a little adventure with the doctor as well, and and um, he's right outside the TARDIS. And I'm sorry, Sean, is this the the uh, the twelfth regeneration of the doctor? Uh, yeah, this is supposedly the last regeneration of the Doctor, uh, according to my canon. Mm -hmm. He's, uh, he's, uh, as if you watch, if you read the stories I've done in the past, which are available on my website, there's, uh, you see him sulking for hundreds and hundreds of years alone in the TARDIS until he realizes, uh, he's gonna get back into the swing of things, but he's used up all of his regenerations. And of course, since then, he's had the adventure of the second key, which, uh, we talked about on the Podshock mm -hmm. in the past. And, uh, yeah, today they met up with, uh, with, uh, Bruce uh, in some some foreign climb. Yeah, the but it turns out he wasn't such a threat. <laughs> uh, yeah, Elan, where Sir Sir Edmund and the Doctor thought he was a bit of a threat, and they were they were ready to take him on. But uh, but he turned out very friendly in the end. 
I knew he would have to have some sort of adventures with the Doctor if he's in your possession. And um, and there he is right outside the TARDIS, and the TARDIS crew are... Um, at first, it looks like they're about to engage him in combat, but then um, they realize um, he's a friendly uh, critter. Yeah, he's a cute little devil. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, great stuff. Thank you so much for coming along with Bruce and uh, being a part of our show. And uh, I think it's a it's a very valid cause as far as bringing awareness. I I was not aware of you know the struggle that the Tasmanian Devil is going through. You know, as far as um, you know, this whole health concern about tumors on their faces is very um, alarming, and especially interfering with their ability to eat and survive. And um, you know, and it's a horrible thing. You know, so I'm hoping that. Uh, Hopefully, um, this can generate some awareness and some funds can be generated as well to bring... Um, I'm, I'm sure there's probably links at the Coolshite um, site that will have um, how you can help out. Well, I, I was not aware of it either, and that's pretty horrible. But, uh, but you know, they're, they're, they're making conservation efforts and things now to try to help the population. So we'll see how that goes. So I just want to thank you for having uh, Bruce and I on. And uh, I'm sure the, the, the cool shite guys will appreciate the, the publicity you're generating for them. Thank you so much, Sean. And thank you, Bruce. All right. Take care, guys. Thanks. We're back with Doctor Who Podshock Ken Deep along with Mr. Lewis Trapani and Is missing in action, Mr. James Norton. Mm, James. But we, sitting in for James Norton is Fuzzy the Cat riding Fuzzy. shotgun. Fuzzy. <laughs> ah. Hasn't said a word yet. That's okay. <laughs> Which is good. This is sort of our um, what is this our new Earth episode or survival episode of Podshock? Either one, it's good. <laughs> You can always send feedback to us by sending an email, and um, if you have a voicemail message attached to it, it would be even more delightful. Since this is an audio podcast, we do like audio feedback, but all feedback is accepted, and you can send it to feedback at podshock.net. You can also ring us up on the, uh, the Podshock public call box. That's 206 888 who and that's 206-888-4946. So, and also Skype and Gizmo. You can give us a hollow there, too, and just send it to Podshock is the, is the address. But wait, there's more. If you are uh, a MySpacer, myspace.com, look up Doctor Who Podshock, or I believe it's um, forward slash Podshock, myspace.com forward slash Podshock. Or it could be Doctor Who Podshock. I don't remember. Uh, I'm a little absent-minded today. I've, uh, I've got 16 hours worth of work in front of me. So. <laughs> as, as we all are. I only had like three hours of sleep under my belt. So, um, Anyway, so moving on, we have um, Eric. Hello to Ken, Lewis, and James at the Doctor Who Podshock. This is Eric, the librarian in D.C. Uh, we're having a bit of a snow day here, so I... Uh, Busted out my season two DVDs again. I know, James, you told me to not have a seizure. I promise I'm not. Uh, but anyways, I started the Christmas Invasion again. 
And um, I noticed a detail that I wanted to share with you that you may not have thought of since having first watched the episode. Jackie comes in after the title sequence with a stethoscope, and she says, Tina at the cleaners has this lodger, a medical student. She was asleep, so I just took this. And she hands Rose a stethoscope. And I thought to myself, this can't possibly be what she's saying. This is not a coincidence. <laughs> There's a reason for this, because Freema Adjiman's character, Martha Jones, is a medical student. She's going to be the next companion. How interesting it would be if the stethoscope used on the doctor in the Christmas invasion was actually Martha Jones's stethoscope, and she's actually tangentially related to Rose and her mom. So I thought I would share that with you all and uh, see what you all had to say. And uh, just keep on doing what you do, because you do a great job. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Well, it's anything's possible, I would say. That's so cool. We have to wait till the new series to see if we can confirm that. Or but, it, uh, it could be just one of those things that are just kind of like never confirmed, but you can just kind of piece together and piece make... it together. Sure. And uh, we, we, Lewis and I were just talking about a Star Wars reference in the same thing. Remember last week, Lewis, we were talking about in Empire Strikes Back. He says you're strong enough to pull the ears off a gun dart, right? Mm, that's right. And, he, and uh, an opportunity to have said Gungan. Or name the Gungans, you know, you know, because they have long ears and thought we were having. But uh, those little bits of continuity of what we all live for—that's why we're sci-fi fans—is <laughs> these little <laughs> tiny details. Yeah. Be it in Doctor Who, Star Trek, Star Wars, doesn't matter where. Um, well, even if you go back to like the second pilot of Star Trek, uh, where No Man Has Gone Before, where Kirk makes a reference to a, a blonde uh, lab technician that he, she, you know, he almost married. You can always just piece it mm-hmm. together. That was uh, Dr. Marcus, you know, that right. we meet in, um, you know, the Wrath of Khan. Carol Marcus. And by the way, on MySpace.com, it's Dr. Who Podjock. I looked it up. Sorry. Cool. We were mentioning that before. Well, Ken's the, the MySpace guy among us, so... And I get tons of emails. I love it. Well, you you gotta um, you know, put it in the feedback section here. So okay. So um, speaking of emails, uh, we have a couple emails that we'll hit in this episode, and this one first comes from uh, Mike, the TARDIS operator in Prince George, British Columbia, <laughs> Canada. Cool. <laughs> and he goes on to say, "Hey guys, I'm rather I'm a rather new Doctor Who fan." New as to say that if I've only seen I've only seen everything from Christopher Eccleston up to the present. The first episode I watched was Father's Day, and it seemed like a good show at the time. So I procured the rest of the season and have been watching ever since. I'm also a Torchwood fan, and I have a question about it. I keep on hearing slash reading that Jack's growing a uh, that Jack's growing a TARDIS in his office, but for the life of me, I have no idea. Um, where it is in any of the episodes uh, and not being a classic series watcher what would be a good doctor to start with I've heard Tom Baker from some of the guys I talk to but um, but I like some further input I've only started listening to pot I've only started listening to your podcast so I'm in the process of getting the rest of them keep up the good work Mike the TARDIS operator Prince George British Columbia Canada 
Well, thank you, Mike. And um, yeah, that's awesome. Great email. Yeah, I. You know, we've heard there was a reference in. Um, I forget what particular episode. I'm pretty sure it was a David Tennant episode, if I'm not mistaken, where the Doctor makes a references to the TARDIS being grown. But that's never yes. been. Um, that's that's never been um, before mentioned in the the history of the series. You know, um, it's you know we know it's a Type Forty TARDIS and so forth, and it's an old discontinued model, and but it's a good girl and all that sort of thing. But <laughs> <laughs> so, but I've never seen any. I've never heard any references in Torchwood of this. So I don't know where have you heard this. Uh, I, unless there's something I missed in Torchwood, I never seen uh, or heard a reference to Jack growing a TARDIS in his office. So I have no idea where that comes from. But it is pretty interesting because he's got all that technology there and, and you know, he is a, a man who's out of place, you know, out, out of his time. Um, so it would make sense that he'd want to build, want to grow a TARDIS uh, if not just him. You know, stop being stuck in the 21st century. Yeah, I wish I could. And to answer the the other question, which is one of it's always our favorite question in email, is when people ask things about good places to start. Well, first off, you started in in a great spot. I mean, watching the new show, you really couldn't go wrong. Uh, yeah, no matter Father's what Day is up. an excellent episode. And... Father's Day is an excellent episode. You know, Chris Eccleston is an excellent excellent doctor to start with. So you're on. You're on the right track, and Tom Baker, you really can't go wrong with if you pick a uh, you know some Tom Baker stories to go and watch. Um, I personally, from you know my own experience, would go to the last season of Tom Baker when John Nathan Turner took over as producer and head into the Peter Davison stuff because it's a little more polished and there's a there's um, it's probably the closest to what you're accustomed to in the current show. Where everything sort of looks the same, and there's a uh, there's a continuity to um, the storylines and to the, the the sets and the costumes and things like that. Whereas prior to John Nathan Turner, things could be a little bit scattered, and you might be like, "Well, why does the console room look different in this episode?" or you know something along those lines. So John Nathan Turner had a tendency to to really string it all together very well. And as a, one of my friends calls the the, the older Doctor Who, the older Doctor Who stuff can be a little ghetto, as they call it. <laughs> you know, uh, meaning that you know, the, the wobbly set era is really... Well, that's not Tom to say... You know, no, that's not to say we, that we had wobbly Johnny sets Turner during... Stuff, yeah. yeah. But they, they, the sets got a little more nailed down to the floor, mm. so to speak. Yeah. yeah. Jane, too, is very uh, big on having a uniform look to everything and um, a consistent look. So, you know, also the last season for Tom Baker and the first um, first two, well, almost all of Davison's stories, there was some really strong sci- science fiction elements. The stories were strong. Um, there was some variety between some humorous stuff and some very serious stuff. It was a very interesting place to, to start. Um, but if that's not your bag, or for that matter, if you can't uh, come across those episodes, depending on whether you're watching it on VHS or DVD or... Well, since he's, I think he's just asking which doctor to start with. Um, we, we get many times we'll get questions on which episode or which story to, you know, to start with, and there's so many, you know, we we, we rattled them off all the time, and um, now we kind of point 
people to websites that kind of list fans all-time favorites and you can choose from there but uh, but I, I think what you heard Tom Baker is probably a good place to start um, as, a, as a new fan and you know as long as you don't limit yourself and you know and just keep yourself open to other doctors as well because um, you know a lot of people especially in the US their first exposure to Doctor Who was through Tom Baker but that's not mm. necessarily their always you know will always be their favorite doctor um, you know because people will get attached to various other doctors John Pertwee Patrick um, Troughton and um, well, obviously there's a, a ton of them to choose from. <laughs> so, well, he's already accustomed to multiple doctors if he's watching the current series because you had you know he's been exposed to Tennant and Eccleston. So the yes. idea that there's more than one is is not a new concept to the. Mm. Um, so then. You know, what happened a lot with, with people who were only exposed to Tom Baker or that was the majority, there was so much Tom Baker material Yes. that you could watch the show for a long time and not see another doctor. You did seven years, yeah. So uh, when there was a change, it was a little more difficult. You know, it was more difficult for, for people to accept. Now, you know, you got hooked on Chris Eccleston and all of a sudden it was David Tennant, only a few, you know, a few episodes in. But Tom Baker is a great place to start, and you're going to find the most material on Tom Baker. You know, mm. people, even if you don't rent it or buy the VHS or DVD, if you have a friend that's a Doctor Who fan and they've recorded it over the years, perhaps most likely they're going to have an abundance of Tom yeah. Baker material. Yeah, that's a good point right there. That there's more of his episodes available, um, you know, that than any other Doctor right now on, like, let's say, on DVD. Just hopefully he won't come across like the creature from the pit as his first. You know, I was going to jokingly say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the horns of Nyamon, something that you're going to be like, oh, God, this poor guy is going to be stuck watching this. You know? Yes, classics indeed. <laughs> yeah. Classics for the wrong reasons. Yeah. <laughs> but at least Tom Baker and Layla Ward were very good. <laughs> Rounding out our feedback bag, we're, um, this one comes from Sarah, who's 16, and she's an exchange student, um, which I'm unclear. She's, um, it's Australia slash Ireland, so I'm not sure if she's, in Australia, if she's from Ireland in Australia or from Australia in Ireland as an exchange student. But um, one of the two, <laughs> she goes on to write, hey, guys. My name's Sarah, and I'm new to Doctor Who. I'm only 16, so I missed out on all the old episodes. Um, one of the downsides of being a 90s kid. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> My mom introduced me to Christopher Eccleston series, and, it's, uh, and I've been hooked ever since. Recently, I've been watching the old Doctors, and I must admit that they're really cool. My mates at school think I'm a geek, and, but I don't care. <laughs> But I have one question. Well, it's three, really, but who cares? Minor details. One, could you possibly play the Doctor Who theme song all the way through? I love the little bit that I think they cut out of the opening titles from the new series. Mm -hmm. More of request. Two, is there any way, is there anywhere I can download this? Three, why do they cut it out? <laughs> I hope, <laughs> I, I, would, I would type you a bit um, what I mean, but it would read do 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 do, <laughs> and <laughs> it doesn't sound like that anyway. Uh, bar eight. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's what she's talking about. Uh, it's about 40 seconds um, from the end of the show. Is a bit 
I'm on about. Thanks for the interview with Peter Davison. He's one of my favorite doctors. Oh, and you know how you kind of asked, why is there more female emailers slash Doctor Who fans? I have two words for you. David Tennant. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Hottie, as my wife calls him. Yes. Anyway, thanks so much. Uh, great podcast. Um, Sarah 16, Australia slash Ireland on exchange. Cool deal. Yeah. Uh, yeah well, the, bar, the bar rates the... This little bit with the, well, in musical terms, would be the bridge. It would be a, a joining between the sections. Um, Billy Joel, I believe, I hope I'm, I'm paraphrasing this correctly. Billy Joel used to say, your bridge should be as catchy uh, as a, almost like a, an entirely different song. That's what makes a, a great bridge. And, and it certainly does, you know, in Doctor Who. I think with Chris Eccleston, they left it out because in the Tom Baker era, they left it out. Uh, and then it was brought back in yeah. just to kind mm -hmm. of separate the eras. Uh, they left it out because there was a lot of comparisons between Eccleston and Tom Baker. And then now with David Tennant, to give him his own style, they've returned the bar eight. Um, and yeah, it's, it really is the, the heart and soul of the, uh, of the piece, uh, is where it just goes up into this little high part. And um, so now it's back. Thank goodness. Yes. And the soundtrack is available. The Murray Gold soundtrack is available. Yeah, and you can download it through iTunes. It's um, available, I believe, now both in the U.S. and U.K. iTunes store. It's um, I, I haven't checked it out. I'm pretty sure you probably can download the tracks individually. It's 99 cents if you do it that way. So, um, If you just wanted uh, the theme. And, yeah, and, and you're I think in Australia, but now she's either in Australia okay. or Ireland, so I'm, I'm not sure um, about that, though. So I, I, and I, there's... There's also uh, you know several recordings of the theme song you know, over the years. You'll find the original one and the one from the '80s, and so there's there's at least five or six floating around out there. So you'll hear different versions of it. The one from the early '80s, the John Nathan Turner uh, era, the Peter uh, Howell version, the Peter Howell version, the little the most rock version of the bunch. You know, guitar oriented. Yeah. yeah, it was real good. I like that. Yeah, then there's, um, yeah, like, as you said, there's there are many different incarnations of the theme, and um, unfortunately, they're not all available to be, you know, They were at one point archived you know. on a website. Yeah, yeah, but, um, you know, because of rights Copyright issues and all that, so that, that's no longer available. But, um, yeah, Sarah, you definitely can uh, download the, the latest theme um, by purchase, purchasing it through iTunes or another um, digital music store that may be available. And again, I'm not sure where you're located at this current time, Australia or Ireland. Um, if you're in Ireland, I'm pretty sure you'll be available. The iTunes UK store should be available to you, I would imagine. I, I, I'm not sure. So um, I would check it out. All right. So that rounds up the feedback. That makes a nice, tidy episode today. Yeah. Should satisfy our shorter episode uh, listeners. People <laughs> like the, the more condensed version. Yes, let's hope. Something for everyone, you know, something for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, we'll be back next week. And um, if you attended Gallifrey 2007 out in L.A., we want to hear from you. So send in your reviews, your reports, uh, feedback, um, audio Text, yeah, by, smoke by all signals, means, messages next and bottles. week should be our, our wrap-up of Gallifrey 
the, the convention, um, we'd love to get the reports in and have a discussion on, on the goings-on at the convention. Hopefully James will be back with us next week. Yes. Yeah, unfortunately, James, we just got word that had death in the family, so unfortunately he was unable to uh, be with us. So our hearts go out to James and his family. And we'll be back uh, next week right here on Dr. Who Podshock, brought to you in part by Outpost Gallifrey. Gallifrey1.com. All right, Lewis, I will see you next week. Yes, take care. Stay warm. have been listening to Doctor Who Podshock by the fan run Gallifreyandembassy.org and presented by Outpost Gallifrey. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Come back next week for another exciting and informative episode of Doctor Who Podshock. You can email us at feedback at podshock.net. time to <coughs> come to release me, have you? Uh, no, sir. Oh. Oh, well.